Coaching as Benevolence, a podcast for people who are curious about using coaching for self-development. I'm Erin with Roots and Wings Grief and Loss Coaching. And I'm LaShawn with Michelle Sage Place Positive Intelligence Coaching. So we are back with today's topic of life after COVID, recognizing that COVID is still very much uh, present and showing up in our households, um, and yet just as a as a larger experience, experience for all of us, things have shifted since the lockdown and the universal masking policies. And so we wanted to explore that today because it's come up for ourselves and for our clients as well. And in one way that it has come up is kind of like this heaviness of of grief in, in, in my work, like we had this big lived experience together as you know humans and how have we had the chance to effectively move uh, forward from that experience and so they're talking a lot about this term around catch up grief that we have a lot of catch up grieving to do uh to kind of make up for the rituals um that we couldn't do during covid the whether it's you know, death loss, the funerals, those sorts of things that maybe people couldn't do. And just the overall overwhelm that uh, COVID put on us from, you know, infighting about masking all the way to, you know, serious and unexpected death losses. So there's a lot that's happened over the past few years and and since COVID as well. Um, So I thought maybe we could start start there with recognizing um, we have a chance to help each other grieve these these losses and these changes and and shifts in in our culture. Uh, so LaShawn, is there anything you're grieving from COVID? I would say the thing that I'm grieving the most is the kind of breakdown and loss of community. There does seem to be, even more so than before, a sense of fragmentation, isolation, loneliness uh, has seemed to be on the rise, feelings of loneliness, isolation. So what I'm grieving the most from COVID is just the loss of community and then the, the seeming, it seems that it's just taking a little bit longer for community to rebuild to uh, for people to reconnect and in some cases that hasn't been um, possible or or it just hasn't really hasn't been something that has um, happened not I mean I guess what I would say is that it's different community is different people don't seem to be connecting the way they did pre-COVID and I say this with uh, also with the knowledge that I am coming from a foreign country um, after, you know, being uh, in Japan for almost 20 years, coming back after COVID um, does seem like the culture that I remembered before I left uh, in 2000. Two and then again in 2005, 2008, uh, just, it just seems so different to me. People 
respond to each other differently. Community doesn't seem to be really there. Things just seem really different. And that could be because I'm coming back after 20 years of not being in American culture, being in culture in Colorado, and, and not having experienced a gradual change and shift in the culture since I was here in the early 2000s. Um, and coming back in you know 2021, that could be possible that it's just me not really perceiving the change before because I was out of the country. Or it could also be that it was exacerbated by the fact that COVID happened and the lockdowns happened. And I'd be interested to know your experience, Erin, since you did not leave the country. <laughs> do, do you see a change in the community? Yeah, for us, it's a little bit different in that during COVID, we really got to know our neighbors really well because everybody was working from home or a lot of people were working from home in our neighborhood. Um, and so there were times where we could all get together to process or, or talk to each other aloud. So there was this sense of more social connectedness during those lockdown phases and during uh, the kind of the peaks of COVID. And we have not gone back to that. And we all really enjoyed it and talked about how helpful it is to, to connect in that way. But it almost seems like we took the worst lessons from COVID and the worst lessons from prior to COVID about our social connectedness and just exasperated those into present day. And so what I mean by that is we never see our neighbors right now because we're running on a treadmill, right? We're full speed ahead. And that's how they are too. And so COVID gave us a chance to slow down and experience more social connectedness in our neighborhood. And now we're right back to uh, so much doing that it's really hard for us to to have that connection uh, physically, you know, in person in that way. Um, in our where where I live. So I think it's been interesting because it's like we lost that social support, yet we still have some linger, yet we still have some lingering grief about the experience. And it's like, now what? We just keep moving forward, but at a faster pace than before. So that's how I'm feeling uh, personally. And I've talked with a few friends and not in the neighborhood, but outside of where I live. And I, I think they have similar thoughts in terms of um, their experience where they were being much more connected to those around them um, location-wise during COVID. And now it's just like, okay, back to the rat race of the workforce and, you know, moving in that direction. So that's what's come up for me. And I do grieve a little bit uh, that community, those fun times we would have together, um, just talking and, and sitting around in the beautiful weather. And uh, yeah, so I do miss that. It's interesting to hear you say that there was more community during the lockdowns, because from our perspective in Japan, we were seeing a lot of um, people being harassed for going for walks in the park without a mask and things like that. And so our perception looking at it from the outside in, and Japan did not lock down the way that uh, the U.S. and the U.K. and Australia 
and other places um, in the world locked down. Japan was very, we, it was business as usual, wear a mask because it was part of the culture. Um, people went to work, people went to school. There was a very brief period in which there was a little bit of a, a not a lockdown, but it was more school was out for a little bit longer because the Japanese school, at least the schools in our area, were not equipped to doing online learning at the elementary level, the secondary level. So they took a little bit of a break. And then they just pretty much had a longer summer break, uh, which in Japan is only about a week or two. So it was just a little bit longer, like maybe three weeks instead of two weeks. And they were just kind of figuring stuff out. And once they figured stuff out, they were back on. Uh, kids were going to school. People were interacting. So there wasn't really a complete change in our everyday routine, except for that we were distancing more and uh, we had we wore masks. And that's just that was part of the culture in Japan. Anyway, people wear masks when they're sick. People wear masks in order to prevent the spread of illness. So it was not, there wasn't a resistance with wearing masks in Japan that we were seeing in Japan, looking at, you know, the media and seeing like how people were responding in the U.S. and talking to family as well. It did seem like people weren't getting together, that people were not allowed to get together, that it was that that was kind of the perception that I that I had in Japan. So it was it's great to hear you say that you were talking with your neighbors, meeting with your neighbors, having that connection. That's good to hear. Um, and so the question then would be, having experienced the value of taking the time out, slowing down, that kind of thing. Um, it it must be it must have been really hard. So it wasn't really it's not really a question, but the observation is or the, the comment that I have is that it must have been really hard to go back to business as usual once um you know you no longer had to be at home that you could go and work and, and commute to work and um those um those restrictions were lifted and people could then move around. So now that people can move around, it does seem like life the pace of life has gotten even more um intense or uh faster and there's not a lot of time just to slow down and and enjoy people's company and to really work on those connections and so my question would be um like why do you think that uh there hasn't been a, a maybe like a a a, a balance having seen the value of slowing down and connecting with your neighbors and, and having that community, why do you think it went back to not seeing your neighbors as much? And you did mention that it's, you know, work and, and being busy. I wonder if there's more to it. I'm just kind of curious as to what you think about what might be other reasons for not going back to that community. Yeah, I think one of the uh, most uh, apparent reasons right now for us is that all those activities outside of school that were put on hold too for kids, those are all um, ramped up again. So it is, you know, taking the kids from school to whatever activity they might be involved with, uh, which was not happening in uh, the, the lockdown. 
Um, I will say at the beginning of the the shutdown, when my daughter, my youngest was one, that was really hard. And I remember seeing a lot of people with their kids, you know, photobombing them on TV and things because we're working from home, our kids are at home, you know, trying to get used to certain things. And then, you know, having a one-year-old in work meetings all the time, right? Like that, that just was incredibly challenging and didn't work very well for anybody. Um, But the thing that did work well that I was speaking to earlier is this idea of connectivity and then outside of the workday slowing down. And so it's interesting now that I say this out loud, well, we've just ramped back up to all these activities that our kids are involved in and completely ignored this lesson of kind of slowing down. I'm I'm wondering if we need to, you know, just in my own family, um, look at our priorities and and reconfigure what we're doing every day. Uh, But on the other end, when you are in lockdown, there is this almost like I'm this sense of, okay, now that we aren't, I really want to get back to this activity because it really fed my soul and I wasn't able to do it. And so there is this kind of maybe catching up as well. Like I really need to do this, 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 and this because I wasn't able to do it then. Um, So that's what I've seen. And I think it's also been different, very different. At least this is what I've seen from the clients that I work with too, based on people's age and and obviously various socioeconomic statuses. Um, So there's so much nuance here. Um, and you know, I want, I think one voice that I haven't heard from as much in the media is kind of the, the voice of those who maybe don't have kids in the home anymore. Um, and you don't really hear about their experience because it seems it's like, oh, you know, we, we really want to need to protect, um, our older population. And so in COVID, it felt like it was really trying to make sure that they're safe and okay. Um, and that's kind of all, all I've heard, right? Like I've, I've been so immersed in partially, you know, just where I'm at in my life with, you know, my daughter's school age families and friends and things like that. But it did make me wonder a little bit more about, you know, what's life post COVID for, um, our older folks in the, you know, in, in our country. That's a really good question. Um, I know that from my experience, like with my in-laws um, and my my mother, uh, it does seem like they're a lot more cautious, especially when around big crowds. Um, I know that I I'm you know part of a club where a lot of our members are retired and they are in the older generation. And, um, you know, they're boomers and uh, and they often will wear a mask uh, when in when they come because they it's going around. Uh, This just seemed to be a lot more cautious. I like when I talk to my in-laws, they don't do much except for maybe go to the doctor. Uh, And occasionally they might go out to dinner, but not very often. and. This is compared to a very active um, couple. They they would they you know traveled all over the place uh, around the U.S. and also overseas because my mother in law is a retired flight attendant, and 
the drastic change in their mobility, like how, how they move around and what they do, how they spend their time is, is interesting to me. And it, and when talking to them, it's almost always, well, we have to be careful not to get sick. Uh, and we don't want to be around crowds and they're much more cautious than they were pre COVID. I know. I, I actually do uh, want to go back to um, what you had said about the infighting with the mass, like mask mandates. And I do want to say that I have noticed that there is unspoken, um, no one's really addressing the fact that people were pretty nasty to other people who chose not to vaccinate, who chose not to wear a mask. They were treated as second-class citizens. They were treated as if they were, you know, criminals. And then when things kind of calmed down, then all of a sudden nobody's talking about that. The fact that people were really mistreated because of choices that they made around their own personal health and what they wanted to do. And I do think that because that's not addressed and because people haven't really talked about that, there is some healing that needs to be done among us in terms of the way that people were treated. And I do think that there is a kind of unspoken, there's like a, a tension around that, especially around like people who chose not to be vaccinated, people who chose, you know, the, to be vaccinated. And that just was never addressed. There are some like things that were done uh, to people, people were treated in a certain way, and yet that's kind of not, that hasn't been addressed, almost as if there is no need to address it, or there is no, um, it's not justified in, in some way. And I do want to bring that up because there is that. I personally think that there is some healing that needs to be done uh, for people who were treated in a certain way. I had a friend of mine who for religious reasons didn't take the vaccine and she didn't want her kids to take the vaccine. And um, she was, she was met with, you know, the threat of losing her job because she didn't want to get vaccinated. And that wasn't addressed. You know, she never really had to, she was never in a position. Thankfully, she was never in a position where her job was taken from her, but people, there are people who did lose their job because they refused to take the vaccination. And I know it's a very sticky and controversial subject, but if we're talking about healing and grief, there is a certain um, grief when it comes to people uncharacteristically uh, being treated. And then like people that you thought were your friends who unfriended you because you said, well, I don't know about this vaccination. And then you get unfriended. And it, it's really these are wounds that are not being addressed and I think need to be healed. I really like that you use that word wounds there. Cause I think that's a very good descriptor of what's happening. Um, and points to how hurtful words can be, uh, to, to someone. Uh, and I think that's such a hard space for me to enter into, because I know I have a bias in a certain way toward um, toward the vaccine and, and its efficacy. 
And on the other hand, I also recognize people's personal choice and, uh, but it goes beyond that, right? It goes beyond that layer to something deeper, to these deeper wounds where we can't see one another as human. And that's, that's very problematic. And I, I agree fully that there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. And I think that this goes predates uh, the the pandemic as well. I mean, we see this with elections, we see this um, in a lot of different ways. And so, yeah, healing those wounds, you know, it's, it's a lot about having those conversations and those hard conversations with, with our family and friends and doing so in a gentle and kind way. Uh, and just like many families across U.S., the U.S., my family is very diverse in terms of their political ideologies, and those show up in these types of conversations. And so it's like, how can we set an ideology aside to to speak human to human about their own individual experiences and their own lived experiences and how that's informing where they're at and how that's informing um, their decisions and those sorts of things. Uh, and I know some people like to have those conversations and some people don't. So as you're talking, it made me curious too, how do we encourage those healing conversations in our own social circles, in our own family circles? Uh, maybe even when they're met with um, just even disinterest. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think that, um, like, even bringing it up, there's this sense that, you know, there's going to be a lot of backlash and that it's, it's a really controversial topic. And the one thing that, you know, maybe this is something that I just personally, just and my personality, I just can't understand why people can't separate a person's choices and a person's level of education, their economics, that kind of thing from their humanity, from the, the our commonality as humans having a human experience, there does seem to be a lack of compassion and also a lack of even an interest to even know the other side, an interest to even really understand where someone's coming from. There just seems to be this very harsh, judgmental, um, stance that a lot of people take. And I'm often really appalled by what people say about other people that they disagree with, almost as if they're not human. They're, they're not, they're not deserving of compassion. They're not deserving of understanding. They're not deserving of decency. And that's where I think society breaks down. That's where civilization breaks down. When we are unable to see the other side, people that disagree with us, people that don't, you know, don't see the world that we do. If we don't see those people as, um, you know, similar to us as our fellow humans, our fellow Americans, our fellow whatever, then that's when things start to break down. That's when things start to go to um, words stop and and action starts and almost always it's a violent reaction. And I think that speaks to what's happening in our world today. When words stop, when, when negotiations stop, when people stop talking, when they refuse to go to the table, when they vilify the other side, 
or they lionize their side or they when those things happen that's when people start to resort to violence or resort to um you know taking away people's rights that kind of thing so i really do worry about that i do worry and i do think that it's been exacerbated by the covid pandemic the way that uh it was handled and how people who disagreed or who wanted to do different things were were um uh addressed uh their behavior was addressed and how it was an attack on the person rather than a, a compassionate response to their misgivings about an experimental um you know uh drug that was being administered and, and said, you know, this is a vaccine, this is going to make it so that, you know, people can be safe. Um, and there was just no, no um, entertaining questions. We're a democratic society, yet no one could question, nobody could entertain that. It was just considered, you know, we're not even going to talk about that, that's misinformation, et cetera, et cetera. And so people are just dismissed. And that to me, is a sign of the breaking down of civility, the breaking down of um, a community, a nation. And that's really sad to see. And that's something I grieve. I have to say, I really grieve that. I, I grieve the, the loss of the ability to be friends with someone who's a different political, you know, has a different, different politics or they're, they, they're a Democrat, you're a Republican. People could be friends. People could have conversations about that. They could argue and, and they could still walk away and, and see the other person as a human being and honor that friendship. Now, that is a deal breaker. If you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat, well, you know, that is, that is a reflection of your character and I can't possibly be your friend. It completely dismisses all of the connection prior to that. Or, or whatever, that if you're unfriending someone, if you're saying, I'm not your friend anymore because of your views, then what about everything else? Which then goes back to the whole thing with the connectiveness that you experienced in the COVID uh, lockdowns, that's no longer there. So you have to wonder, why isn't that honored and valued? Of course, we have, you know, things going on with with our kids now, you know, you're taking them to extracurricular activities and these events are coming up. However, often when we have something that we value, we take the time, we make the time. So what's breaking down here? That's my question and concern. Such a good question. And I want to go back to a word that you said a few times and that's dismiss and dismiss you know, when we go back to one of our prior podcasts on listening, I think that that's one of the ways that anybody, wherever they're at, they can take a step back and listen um, with with compassion instead of dismiss. It's almost like that is the ant one of the antidotes to dismissing um, someone else. Because what I've experienced when people dismiss me for my political beliefs alone. It's like the hearing just kind of shuts down after I say like one sentence and then that's it and that's dismissed and I'm dismissed. 
Um, and I know I do that to other people too. And so if I, in the moment, if I don't, can get out of that fight or flight, or if I can get out of whatever kind of entrenched, you know, personality things I'm grappling with or behaviors I'm grappling with and just take a step back and listen. And we just say, listen, like, I think that's one way to um, continue with these conversations and continue these friendships. Now that doesn't answer your question. of like, what's broken down in our neighborhood with everything. Um, and it's a good question and I don't have a good answer for it because Yes, it was something I valued, but maybe I need to know a little bit more about did other people value this just as much as I did? Um, and maybe they didn't. So there's that piece. Um, and since I did value it, I do want to get back to at least having some level of interaction. And so it, it's a, it's priorities and is prioritizing that in my own life. So that brings up another coaching concept. How do we prioritize our values, right? We, we tend to be, um, have our own kind of set of values. They overlap with many other people's values as well, but ours kind of maybe honesty is my top value and authenticity is your top value, right? Like very similar, but not, um, the same. So, when we are not in alignment with our own values and how we prioritize those, then things shut down in a lot of different ways as well. And so this is a coaching question that has come up in my past uh, with clients. And it's just like, how do you prioritize your values, right? How do you um, recognize how your values are even showing up in your life? So those are two separate coaching questions that I think are really helpful, not only in a coaching session, but also to help us pause and maybe be a little bit kinder to, to others in terms of those conversations, those hard conversations. So what are your thoughts? How do we prioritize values? <laughs> no, that's a really good question. And one of the things that we do in coaching is, you know, you sit down with a client and you ask them to prioritize their or to list their values and then and then you talk about, so it's a process in coaching, actually, that um, I think it's a skill that uh, can be learned uh, how to how to prioritize your values, not only how to prioritize your values, but how to um, identify your values, because often we may take for granted those things and may not have the tools uh, to articulate you know what our values are what do we value why do we value it we might be our behavior might be you know contrary to what we really truly value for example if we value family time but when we are with our family we're on our phones or we're in front of screens or we're we're busy working then we do need to sit back and go okay so if i really value being with my family what is my behavior saying and, and why am I behaving that way? And, and in a way, again, that's not judgmental, but rather just curious. Okay, so I value being with my family. So I wonder why I'm on my phone. What is that about? And then we can explore what is the motivation behind being on my phone when I'm with my family. It could be coincidental. Now, I'm going to just talk, speak for myself. I brought this up in other episodes. 
where I get home from work and I have a desire to just shut down, you know, not shut down, but um, unplug, unplug. So when I'm at home and, and not at work, I just need to unplug from, you know, the stressors of work, the intensity of work, and just, you know, you know, go on YouTube and, and see a funny video or something. At the same time, I'm with my family. And so we are together, but not together. So if I were to prioritize my values and value my time with my family and having quality time with my family, I would say, okay, so when I'm at home, I do value downtime. And I also value being with my family. So I'm going to prioritize my downtime for like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, however long it takes. And then I'm going to put my phone away and I'm going to play with my son or I'm going to ask my daughter how her day was or I'm going to, you know, help my husband with dinner or whatever is going to help me um, stay connected to my family because I value that. So that's how I would prioritize my values. First, we need to identify them. What are my values? See where there's a disconnect with my behavior and my values. And then how I can, um, you know, prioritize them. And I don't know if that answered your questions, but um, what are your thoughts? No, I really like that example because I think with prioritizing it, the example that you gave about how you can do both. You can still have your downtime and have your family time. Um, that's because you're making micro shifts. And we've talked about those like micro shifts in the past and episodes as well, where you're just making a small adjustment that's more in alignment with who you are. Because we often go into autopilot on our behaviors. Um, and if we take a step back, we start to see how our thoughts and our emotions are impacting those behaviors. And so I think. It's a really good example of helping people contextualize. I might be doing this behavior on autopilot and here's how I can shift into alignment with my values by making a really, really small adjustment. Um, so I like that a lot. And going back to the complicated example of uh, the values with the neighbors uh, and my values with that, it's like, well, maybe I don't value that as much as I thought I did, or maybe I... Uh, when I prioritize my values of like social connectivity, I'm getting that elsewhere. I'm getting that in a different space. And now it's just a matter of me going back into alignment with how I value knowing my neighbors with that social connectivity to make a small change in my day or not even my day, like in my week on the weekend, maybe saying hi and connecting um, or something like that. So it sometimes can feel so big when we talk about values and it can sometimes feel really hard because it's so hard to make changes. It, it really is, right? There's all the behavior science behind people make changes and it continues to grow and change and shift because it's, it's really hard. Uh, and so I, I like this idea of us helping people bring those values into first, like you said, what are they? What are my values? Two, you know, how do I prioritize these? And then three, how do I make a small adjustment? 
And then how do I keep that reflective process going? So there's that feedback loop consistently of, okay, I I'm now feel like I'm a little bit more in alignment. How do I keep going in this direction? And I love that you use the example of the cell phone because <laughs> I struggle with that too, because I do, I feel like I can justify when I'm with my family, as long as it's doing something like a word puzzle or work, it's fine. On the other hand, it's not fine <laughs> because uh, that's not in alignment with my values because I do value family a lot uh, and our family time together. And so making a shift with that is going to be a hard behavior change for myself because it's something I do so frequently. So also thinking about how can I make a really, really small change to start chipping away at that that behavior and values. And so to bring this back to COVID, where we started from and just thinking about, you know, I think a lot of people in COVID had a chance to think about their values a little bit more, maybe, and, or maybe not. And now they're thinking about them more, looking back at like, what just happened? Here's where I am. And so I think that might be a good point for us to make here today is, our values are something you can always explore and should should be, you know, looking at in your life consistently and in making sure you're in alignment with them. And so, you know, going to say we after this transition from COVID into kind of this new period of time, how do you revisit your values? How do you see how those values have shifted after a big life event that we've all experienced on different levels. Yeah. Um, it, I think it's really interesting to, um, go back to the fact that we started out by talking about, um, grief and how that's related to COVID. And then from grief, we went to values. And I think that grief, and I'm sure as a grief and loss coach, you know, this, but I, I this is an observation that I have is that grief you know, things that we grieved that we've lost are things that we valued. And I think so that's, that's, it seems that that's like a natural um, uh, connection from going from COVID grief values, because on one hand, when COVID happened and there was the lockdowns and life was slowed down, people were able to really see what they valued or to experience the things that they valued more often and therefore coming out of covid uh some people did adjust you know i know for a fact that you know it's it's more difficult to hire um uh people long term because people's values have kind of shifted in terms of how much of their time are they willing to give for a job um, and, you know, looking at their options and not not having that same loyalty that they had pre-COVID? We're, we're seeing that in the working world uh, with hiring um, employees. It's different, you know, what they come to the table with when you talk to them and hire them. Again, that's values because when you are having an interview about, you know, a job and you're deciding, okay, so how much time am I going to dedicate to this job as opposed to 
you know, how much time I want to spend leisure, leisure activities or how much time I want to spend with uh, personal development or what I want to spend with my family. And so people are really prioritizing those things more so than they were pre-COVID. And that has been an observation that a lot of people in the working world uh, administration um, have commented on since COVID happened. So that's another thing. So I really do think that um, this is a really good discussion about values because it's a good way to um, stop and reflect and think about, you know, what do you value and, and what things do you want to do more of in your life and less of in your life and what uh, that align with your values. So I think this conversation, from my perspective, has been really helpful because it's caused me to think about my own values and realigning my values. And it also has um, caused me to also think about, in my coaching, how uh, talking to my clients about their values and um, what their values are and prioritizing their values and aligning with their values. Because when we align with our values, we're happier. Uh, we have a more fulfilling, meaningful life. And I think that's one of the things that as coaches, we want to facilitate. We want to help our clients create a, um, a meaningful, more meaningful and more fulfilling life for themselves. So that's one thing that I would say about this discussion is, you know, going, starting with COVID, starting with grieving and then values. Uh, I think it's, it's worth uh, looking at in your life once in a while, just really sitting down and saying, hey, you know, doing an inventory of your values and whether or not your, your lifestyle and the way that you live your life is in alignment with your values and how that connects with or um, affects your overall well-being and your sense of um, satisfaction in your life. Yeah, I like how you tied that together to summarize the through line here with the grief and the values piece. And I think that that also speaks to the complexity of COVID because we talked a little bit about grief and then values and then also the kind of personal conflict in human um, relationships. And we just touched the surface on a, on a few of those items. And there's so much more, right, that, that was going on and is still going on for us with the COVID experience. So, you know, from my lens, as you said, as a grief um, educator, a grief coach, like really being able to distill down into not only the values and the conflict that's come up, but also looking at you know, resource reallocation, right? And um, geographical implications of where you're at, where your family is at and those sorts of things and so much more. Um, so even if somebody feels like they were not overly affected by the experience and that they didn't have a death loss or that they didn't get hospitalized with the illness or things like that, it's still something that I'm hoping we can all come together and grieve collectively and and really work on our our personal development with this um, combined grief experience. And it's not too late to revisit that, right? It's like, oh, well, COVID's done. Let's keep moving forward. I don't need to revisit 
you know, that grief, it's never too late to revisit a grief uh, experience. So that's, I guess, leads us into a, a, a coaching nugget. That would be my coaching nugget. Um, you know, it's never too late to to look back and, and uh, use those lessons to create a life for yourself that's fulfilling and meaningful. Yeah, and I would add to that, that it's never too late to revisit um, a wounding, like, for example, if someone did or said something that hurt you, um, it's it's never too late to say, hey, you know, what you did there hurt me. And just leave it at that. That way you're expressing that you were hurt. And, and that is a step to healing, is expressing that and letting the person know that, you know, you hurt me. That is if the person is open to it. If they're not, if they've cut you off or whatever, it might be even a good idea just to write it down or to maybe talk to someone you love and trust who can hear you and say, you know, when that person said this to me, I really felt hurt. And and to be able to go through that. So I would say uh, to our listeners out there that the coaching nugget is give yourself um, the time and space to heal. Thanks for joining us for Coaching as Benevolence. I'm LaShawn with Michelle Sage Place, Positive Intelligence Coaching. And I'm Erin with Roots and Wings, Grief and Loss Coaching. Have a benevolent day.